Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. Earlier this year, we spent time with today's guest, talking about the Flint water crisis, along with her efforts and observations of the impact of this catastrophe on the residents of her adopted home. During that conversation, we briefly talked about another project near and dear to her heart, the Warriors Trust Fund. Marseille Allen returns to Collections by Michelle Brown today to update us on Flint and tell us more about her work with the Warriors Trust Fund. She's the president of the Warriors Trust Fund, a 501c3 organization established in 2015 to raise awareness and provide funding for the various needs of the United States Armed Forces combat veterans, including, but not limited to, veterans associated with the Oakland Combat Veterans Treatment Court, the CVTC. The CVTC was established in 2013 to assist with the successful completion of conditions of probation, those U.S. military veterans whose behavior is a direct result of a combat, conflict, or search and rescue or recovery experiences. The first two veterans graduated from the program in 2015. One had served in Vietnam and the other had served in Afghanistan and Iraq. In addition to supporting the CVTC, the Warriors Trust Fund has expanded to the greater combat veteran community and now assists participants in the Veterans Treatment Court at the 45th District Court of Oak Park. The Warriors Trust Fund provides drug and alcohol testing, substance abuse treatment, mental health treatment, transportation, and emergency services to combat veterans a helping hand to those who have stumbled under the weight of the lingering effects of combat, conflict, or search and rescue or recovery experiences. 100% of all funds raised by the organization goes towards supporting combat veterans in the criminal justice system. These military veterans have honorably served in the U.S. Armed Forces and National Guard. We honor them this November. They are deserving not only of our thanks for their service, but our support and, when necessary, assistance in their reentry to our families and communities. Marseille, welcome back to Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for all you're doing. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me again. Yeah. You know, before we get into the Warriors Trust Fund, I mean, 
it's been a year since what I call the election we want to forget. And, I mean, and here in 2017, I mean, we saw some incredible things happen. Um, We've got two new Democratic governors um, in Virginia, someone who had stood up against providing, uh, wanting to impose restrictions on, on the transgender community was defeated by a transgender woman. We've got two African-American women who are lieutenant governors. Um, Andrea Jenkins in Minneapolis was uh, um, the first transgender woman of color elected to the Minneapolis City Council. I mean, there's been like so many things going on. And in your adopted home of Flint, Mayor Karen Weaver, I think there was like 17 people who, who came in this election. She prevailed. And many of the people who have been on city council, guess what? They, they aren't there. They won't be back. But the question right. still goes on. What's going to happen to Flint? Because that was a big thing about part of the reason why this whole sitting back, and I know that you are an observer of politics and you and looking not only nationally but locally, what did you see um, from yesterday? And can you, can you just share your thoughts from not only a national perspective but then bring it back to Flint? Of course. Uh, you know, I, and, and you have to excuse my voice. I'm, I'm, I believe I'm starting to get sick, but... Um, I think nationally, people woke up. I, I, I really think that, that, you know, you had a lot of apathy, empathy, however you want to put it, um, during the last election, and people were turned off. Uh, they were turned off by the mudslinging. They were turned off by the nastiness. And a lot of people did not vote at the top of the ticket, which really hurt, uh, particularly the state of Michigan. Uh, Because as you know, I believe we only lost, I shouldn't say we, but Hillary Clinton only lost by Mm -hmm. 10,000 votes uh, Mm -hmm. in the state of Michigan. But 33,000 people in the city of Detroit alone did not vote at the top of the ticket. 90,000 didn't vote at the top of the ticket in Michigan. So it made a huge difference uh, in, in the national election. I think over the past year, we saw what not voting at the top of the ticket really did to this country, mm-hmm. and, and it's probably done, if not long-term damage, um, possibly permanent damage. I think mm-hmm. yesterday uh, was a wake-up call for this country. It was a wake-up call for racists and bigots and homophobes. Uh, it, was a, it was a wake-up call for everyone who has any hatred towards true freedom. And uh, I'm very proud of what happened yesterday, and uh, I expressed that on social media. It's like, you know, hey, I, I, I like how this equality looks on you, you know. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's, it's looking good, you know. It's, it's a resistance movement. Um, I, I think that we've hit a point in this country where we've gotten low. We, we've hit a low point, probably not rock bottom, but a low point, and we can only go up. And I think we could actually make it better than what it was when it was handed over to this current administration. Um, and, and it was doing pretty well at that time. I, I think we can do even better than that because I think people are, are there's more solidarity. For, mm-hmm. Did you find, I mean, I know that I saw one report of Cleveland who not only had been Democrat, but he jumped ship, said he was going to be Republican. And he, he really embraced 45's language. And he said, you know, he was standing up for, for white people. And, you know, 
part of this has really bothered me because, you know, we all look at this and I, you know, I wanted to say to them, tell me that you and your peeps, that your family members really aren't for this. And in this election to have this guy who sort of like took the step out and he got defeated, that sort of made me go like, okay, all white people aren't just out for themselves. And I, and you know, and I don't want to feel that way, but there was a part after this election where I felt, you know, like, <laughs> you know, it was the same old stuff They're after their own, own best interest and they're going to throw everybody else under the bus. You know, I, 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 um, it, it's understandable to feel that way. We, we, this country has been through a lot over the past, uh, 11 months. It's, it's, it's absolutely amazing, uh, what we've been through. And, People have a lot of negative, negative imagery of, of not only where the country is headed, but of each other. And I think, if anything, it's, it's you know, coming out of Flint and seeing what's going on, it's not necessarily even just an issue of race. This is definitely a war on class. Mm. Um, I, I see that it's a, it's a war on the working class. It's a war on the working poor. And, and I'll be honest with you, I'm looking at this legislation that the Republicans are trying to push through, and it is colorblind. <laughs> a lot of mm-hmm. it is colorblind. It is not class blind. It is it is literally um, digging the graves of of the working poor, um, and and it will hurt them. Um, and but you know, I, I yesterday again, you know, with with the election yesterday, and and I, yesterday was a good day. It was a good mm-hmm. day. I think it gave a lot of people hope. Um, and I think a lot of people will start saying things more positively, and that's what we have to do. We have to work together. We have to come together. Uh, that's the only way that we're going to uh, uh, get out of this mess that, that we uh, have, have, you know, unfortunately fallen into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So adopted home Flint, mm-hmm. what did you think of this, of this whole, this election, uh, where it is now, and what does it mean for those people who still don't feel comfortable turning on that tap and drinking the water? You know, um, I, I think you know, the election was really nasty, and I stayed out of it um, purposely. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have always been a spiritual supporter of Dr. Weaver. Uh, she's done a phenomenal job under the circumstances. And I, I went and visited with her yesterday, and, and when she hugged me, it was probably one of the most genuine hugs I've ever received. I mean, I could feel uh, her, her strength, but still at the same time exhaustion. Um, and we were able to briefly talk, and, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm very happy she's in the place where she is right now. I'm, I'm hoping that she can uh, bring the community together and, and really work on changing Flint, uh, there are a lot of issues. I mean, just last night I, I had a conversation with a young a mother um, whose son, uh, is, is, she had to move back into the city uh, in order to qualify for aid. She was able to move out, but because uh, she needed the financial assistance, she had to move back into the city. And her son is starting to break out again, and now he's mm. scared to take a bath. Um, he's scared to take a bath. So this morning I, I was on the phone making calls. I had friends in D.C. who, you know, are expert contractors looking up water filtration systems for me, uh, trying to figure out how we can help this young boy. And, I, and I've been working with her on and off, uh, you know, since the crisis kind of got started. And, and um, 
it, it, it's still bad. Um, none, her, uh, the pipes in her area have not been replaced. Uh, it's considered, quote, unquote, a good part of Flint. Um, mm. But she lives down the street from one of the schools that had the highest uh, lead percentages. So he's struggling. He's only four. And so when he was, when he was featured in the media storm, um, he was two. So it's kind of hard for him to communicate. Now he can com- communicate, and she told me uh, this yesterday evening, and he's telling me, Mommy, I don't want to bathe. Mm. Um, what's wrong with me? And and so for people who think this water crisis is over, it is not. <laughs> it, it will never be over. It will not be over for another three generations, and I, I need to make that very clear. Lead poisoning is, is multi-generational. So this young man who at the age of four, if he's able to have children in the future, will have children, grandchildren with lead poisoning, period. There's just no way around it. It's been scientifically proven. So you've got 100,000 people whose descendants possibly will have, uh, future descendants or, or current children will have a lead poisoning. The city, the population has been destroyed. Uh, there are elderly people who were completely independent uh, before the water crisis who are in homes now because they can't mm. function on their own. Uh, babies who are, are uh, physically and neurologically uh, behind uh, in their growth. So, you know, and, and, and hearing that story last night of this young, you know, this, this young boy and then speaking with his mother, it, it, it hit me again. You know, I, I know the crisis is not over, but I take advantage of the fact that people don't don't know around the world, mm-hmm. and I don't really think about it. But, you know, it has to get out that the crisis is not over. And, uh, you know, we're all doing what we can in our own ways uh, to assist w- with that. Um, and, as you know, I, w- I was just recently appointed the vice president of the Morris Peterson Jr. Foundation. Morris Peterson is a mm-hmm. player, player here and went to Michigan State and I believe he retired from the – he retired from uh, the NBA. And – you know, we, we have a turkey giveaway on November 20th. We are planning huge events for, for Flint children for next year. And there are other organizations that are doing the same thing. I mean, we are literally scrambling to, to figure out how to help in the best way possible. And, and fortunately, everyone's starting to come together and work together. So um, that, that's obviously a, a plus because before I think it was kind of discombobulated because there was so much going on. Now that things have kind of calmed down, the media has forgotten about us and they've left. Mm-hmm. Now we can mm-hmm. actually come together and, and work together and, and get some things done. So I'm, I'm glad to be a part of that. But, no, back to Mayor Weaver and Flint. I think she'll do a great job. I think she had come up against people who did not have faith in her. But, honestly, when you have that much money coming into a city, everybody wants a piece of the pie. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's where a lot of it came from and, and some other issues that, you know, we'll discuss offline. But um, mm-hmm. I, I think she was a target, and uh, I'm glad that she was able to overcome. And uh, I, I look forward to, as, as part of, of the Mopi Foundation, as well as uh, just a citizen who, who gives a damn, uh, I, I look forward to, to working with her uh, continuously uh, in any capacity, whether I'm here in, in Flint, Flint Township, I, I was able to move to Flint Township, um, or across the country or on the other side of the world, I'll always mm-hmm. be able to, to reach out to her, I know, and she, she knows she can always reach out to me if she ever needs anything. You know, and I think that that's the thing, what you said there, that's the thing that is, that is so important, because people 
forget. Like, like I said, here's this child, and he's a, mm-hmm. he was a child when he was affected. Generations is going to, and people get caught up. I mean, you heard people talking about like, oh, and they're fighting, and the people who are coming out. You hear people are talking about the people who are um, part of the Snyder administration who are on trial, and they hear about that, but they're forgetting about that child. And, you know, and politics is politics, but, you know, things like, the foundation that you that you the Morris Peak Foundation, those kind of things, those are the ones who are going to be there for the long haul. And mm-hmm. it's important that we never forget the children. Yes. And you know, yes. and you know, so hopefully now that all of this, this this election thing is over we can get back to focus on it because, you know, it's just sort of like you don't. You often hear people who want to act like, well, you know, well, Puerto Rico is just fine now. No, Puerto Rico isn't just fine. You know, no, Flint isn't just fine. You know, we can't forget the real people. You know, mm-hmm. so I mean, that part is just like, like. So you're talking about the foundation that you work in. Do you see that um, the corner changing, or how how will people do you still need, you know, like before you're getting dollars and bottles of water and coming in from everywhere, what do the the people of Flint need to, to do, need now? And should people, are there organizations that they should go through or, you know, should they try to like plug into the city government? What's the best way for people who are out there who go, you know, Flint still is an issue. I don't want to forget those generations to come, how, what's the best way for them to, to plug in? You know, I think that the organizations like the Boys and Girls Club, the mm-hmm. Shelter of Flint, the Community Foundation of Greater Flint, uh, the United Way of Genesee County, uh, Catholic Charities uh, of Genesee and Shiawassee Counties, you know, those are, yes, they're large organizations, but they're able to actually give away a lot of money to smaller organizations. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Boys and Girls Club could always use help. The kids use that as their recreation, uh, and that's actually one of the things that we're looking at uh, with the Morris Peterson Jr. Foundation is, is, is creating a program through the Boys and Girls Club and finding funding for that. So, you know, there are little things that can help uh, these children. You know, we, we but then the state, honestly, the state really needs to step up and, and you know, I'm a state employee uh, by trade, and um, I know that there's a lot more that can be done, but when you're talking about government, things take so long, and people either want a piece mm-hmm. of the pie or they don't want to be a part of it at all. So in, in a case like this, a lot of people don't want to be a part of it at all, especially now that people are being prosecuted. So I, I think that everyone needs to participate in uplifting Flint, not only spiritually, but uh, their health, their health. I mean, you know, you, you look at everything that's going on in Flint. I can't think of one person that probably does not have PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder in Flint, mm-hmm. from the mother who feels guilty for giving her child the water for those years to the child. You know, I mean, I've heard stories about children, you know, getting upset with their parents because their parents are not using a filter. And the parents are, you know, if, if they're, like, out of town. And the parents have to tell them, honey, we're, we're not in Flint. It's okay to drink this water. 
and the kids are mm. that traumatized, but they don't want to drink water from anywhere. So, mm. you know, I don't think people understand that the, the, the impact that it's had, but what people on the outside can do is just be of service. And, you know, we had a huge issue with people coming in and saying, we're going to do this for you. That is absolutely the stupidest thing you can do (laughs) in any situation is Mm -hmm. come into something from the outside and say, we're going to do this for you. No, the question should be, what do you need? And every organization in Flint needs something different because they address different issues. The Community Foundation of Flint probably needs money because they give money away, whereas the shelter of Flint – may need diapers. You know, I've gotten calls from them where they, they, they need diapers or they need wipes. So, I'm, you know, I'll do something on Facebook and get a ton of diapers and wipes. So they may need uh, filters to go into the homes for their transitional housing. So every organization needs something different. And I think if people want to help, they can pick an organization, call them and say, what do you need? Um, if they have programming that they would like to offer, say, hey, I'm, I'm not going to inject this in you. Let's see if we can work something out so that the product that I have could potentially help you. And if it doesn't, we'll find some other way. But I, I don't want people force-feeding uh, mm-hmm. uh, their interest and, and force, forcing their interest down the, the throats of Flint residents. They need to come in and, and be humble and ask what people need here. That's great. Now, you know, one last Another hat that you wear before we, you know, I'm, I, and, and we are going to get to the trust. The other hat that you wear, you're the legislative liaison at uh, the UAW. You know, I grew up, my, my mother was a union person, and I right. know that as far as a lot of the advances, things that we take for granted came from union membership, you know. I mean, there mm-hmm. were things that, you know, and unions have been under attack. I know they said the numbers are, are dwindling, but there's that importance, that, that thing, that common goal, that working towards. How important is union participation and the support of it in us bouncing back and getting back to, to being that America that made sure that there was, you know, uh, wage laws, that there was mm-hmm. equal employment, how important is that, and are, is it still alive and well? I believe it is, but I know that there's some people who go like, ah, oh, you know, union, what's that? It's, you know, and, and it's funny. People think that unions drive up costs, but what people don't understand is, you know, union products are just great quality products. And, and you, when you buy a union product, you are employing an American or you're, you're employing someone that, that, you know, whether they're an American citizen, naturalized citizen, they're union, they're here, and, and they're giving back to the community. You know, I, I'm a legislative liaison for the UAW Local 6000, which is one of the largest locals in the world. We, rec- we represent more than 16,000 state employees in the state of Michigan and 11,000 retirees. And my job is to, to lobby for them uh, and, 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 and it's funny, people will tell me I'm one of the good lobbyists, right? So I'm, I'm lobbying <laughs> for state employees. But what people don't understand is when I'm lobbying for state employees, I'm also lobbying for Michiganders because state employees pr- provide the services for Michiganders. So when I, I, I had to give a speech one day and I said, you know, how can I relay the impact that we have on this state? And I tell people, we built this state. You know, we are the probation officers that protect the communities. We are the aides that care for our veterans in, in the veterans' homes. We are 
the, the Secretary of State employees that make sure that you're, you're eligible to vote and you get your license. We're, we're the DNR employee that makes sure that our forests are clean and our beaches are beautiful. State employees in the state of Michigan work hard 24 hours a day, and that makes this state great. And that's what I don't think people understand is that it's not just, you know, it's not just auto. You know, we have to protect mm-hmm. our auto folks. You know, we have to protect the people who provide the supplies for our auto auto folks. But it makes our economy stronger when we buy American, when we support American workers. It just makes our economy stronger. And and you have a better quality product. I mean, I believe there's some ridiculous number that 90-some-odd-plus percent of our seafood comes from out of the country. Mm. Why? <laughs> Why? And you notice what's getting recalled, right? Mm-hmm. So, let, I mean, let's just be real about it. So, you know, buying American products from, from American farmers, I mean, look at how beautiful Michigan is. I drive from Flint Township to Lansing, and all I do is pass farmland. There's so much that we can do, and and I, I think unions are the backbone of this country. We protect the working class, and in protecting the working class, we actually protect everyone else. And so it, it, my job is very important to me. I take it very seriously. Uh, sometimes I don't sleep at night because I'm, I'm thinking about who I have to, to, to confront the next day in the legislature mm-hmm. on, on, you know, some, some stupid bill that, that could, could hurt not only union workers but Michiganders in general. I mean, you know, it, it, there are bills out there, for example, it's been all over the news lately that, that the, 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 the Senate Republicans want to, uh, they're, they're addressing having guns in schools, mm. daycares, exactly. and hospitals. That is absolutely the craziest thing I've ever heard of in my life. Mm-hmm. After a mass shooting, you want someone mm-hmm. to be able to carry a gun into a school district. There's, there's just no excuse for that kind of stupidity. And what people don't understand is that for UAW, we're state workers, but see, that affects us too. Mm-hmm. And so we, we go out and we lobby on behalf of not only not only state workers, but Michiganders as a whole, because every Michigander in this state has to interact with a state worker at some point, whether it's Secretary of State, whether it's uh, DHHS, Department of Corrections, whether you're a victim or a, 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 an offender, uh, uh, Department of Natural Resources, Attorney General's Office. I mean, we represent uh state employees in every office, in every state office, in every county. So Michigan, we, we touch everyone's lives. And so that, that's why I think unions are important because people have to understand it's not just, you know, cars and construction, but it's actually, I mean, mm-hmm. Puerto Rico, those are our sisters and brothers. Their state workers are UAW as well. They're unionized. And we've been working to raise money for them. So it, it's across the country. This is this. I believe the unions are being strengthened now because of the attack on the working class. I think the unions are gaining more strength um, because people are starting to recognize that they're targets and that there is a better way uh, to earn a living and, and to earn a livable wage in safe conditions. And, and that's what we have to also be concerned about is making sure that our workers are safe so they can go home to their families at night. And that's what the union does. We fight on behalf of all employees. And what, and, and what people have to remember is that when we're fighting on behalf of union workers, the managers, the supervisors, they benefit as well because what's mm-hmm. safe for us becomes safe for them. When we get raises, <laughs> they get raises. They get raises. When we, when we make a quality product, 
they can buy the quality product. So it, it, it's a never-ending cycle, and uh, I don't understand the attacks on unions because the union is, is what made this country strong, but we're going to prove that again um, because, uh, you know, and, and if anything, um, the attacks against, against unions have brought the unions, the various unions together, definitely here in Michigan. Um, the attacks uh, by civil service has, has brought the, the unions, have brought the unions here in Michigan together and we're working closer than we have in more than two decades. So um, I'm pretty excited about the work that I do as a legislative liaison. Mm-hmm. And I, I love working with, I, I, was, I was meeting with colleagues in, in various unions on yesterday. I love working with them. And um, I'm, I'm looking forward to what we have in store for this great state. I, I think we're going to do some really good things next year, um, uh-huh. particularly with the election. I think we'll be okay. You know, and, and that's really, I mean, because if you stop and you think about, you know, when you think of like, and I can, I can remember hearing stories, but I also remember that, you know, they're talking about making America great again. But I know that some of the things that my mother, as she got certain protections and things in the workplace, and then my father also became a municipal employee, and he had a union, that that's what allowed them to provide for us so that, you know, the next generation could do a little bit better. A little bit, and now you're going to attack that. I mean, it's just like, exactly. you know. You know, uh, let's do a reality check here first, you know, folks, and do it. Well, I say we're going to take our first break here on Collections by Michelle Brown, and then we're going to come back and talk about the Warriors Trust Fund. So we will be right back. My guest today is Marseille Allen, and she is with the, the, the Warriors Trust Fund, and we'll be right back. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. back here on Collections by Michelle Brown with the president of the Warriors Trust Fund, Marseille Allen. You know, this is November, and in November we tend to think about our veterans. And it's not like I was reading earlier how, you know, like they prepare them to go in and they, they get all these skills, but they don't prepare them for adjustment back into life and so much can change as you go back into civilian life that you just have to learn how to deal with the warriors trust fund how did you first get involved with the trust fund well 
unfortunately, I have to give a lot of credit to the Michigan Department of Corrections. Mm-hmm. Um, at, the, at the time, I was serving as a probation officer, and there was another agent who was a military veteran, and he recognized that we were having a lot of veterans coming into the system. He approached our, our um, chain of command, and they said, yeah, let's, let's do veteran caseloads. So what the department decided to do was to separate military veterans from civilian probationers and parolees, okay? So I ended up supervising after, you know, begging for the caseload, I ended up supervising any probationer that was supervised, that was under jurisdiction of Oakland County, uh, the Oakland County Sixth Circuit Court, who was not on tether. And mm-hmm. uh, because that's a different type of training and who was not a sex offender. So I had an average, I usually averaged about 110 to 120 veterans and the judges, a couple of the judges wanted to know, hey, you know, what, what, what's, what's going on? What is the department up to now? And I went over for a meeting, and the chief judge and I, Nancy Grant, we clicked right away. I mean, by the time I got back to my office, she had already sent out an email uh, with instructions for prosecutors and, and attorneys mm-hmm. uh, to contact me with, with any cases on veterans. So, um, and we have a great relationship, a lasting relationship. Uh, we've, we've, she's been a, a wonderful mentor and a great teammate, and so anyway, back to the Warriors Trust Fund. I could, we they we established the Warriors Trust Fund, but I could not um, technically take over because I was still supervising military veterans. So our treasurer had to handle all of the finances. When I was given the, a lead probation officer uh, position and transferred to our headquarters in Lansing, um, the director of the Department of Corrections gave me permission to become finally become president, and they understood that there were going to be some financial transactions, but, of course, our treasurer would still handle a majority of it um, because I could not, obviously, it would be a conflict of interest if I was supervising someone and then requesting money for that person. So, mm-hmm. um, and so now I'm, I've, I've been the president of the Warriors Trust Fund for a couple of years now, and we've expanded to the 45th District Court. So now we support anyone who has been engaged in combat um, or who suffers from, and, and when we define combat, as far as the court is even concerned, it's anyone who has suffered from trauma as a result of their military experience. So mm-hmm. we've had one or two people who never made it out of boot camp, but they were shot, for example, during training. And that mm-hmm. caused some type of post-traumatic stress disorder. Well, they would not have been in the criminal justice system had it not been for their injury in the military and maybe an addiction to pills or an addiction to alcohol as a result because you have to have a clean record before acceptance into our court. Now, there are more than, oh, I, I would say nearly 300 courts now throughout the country, veteran treatment courts, and most of them, if not all of them, are supported by nonprofits. So that's what we do. We provide financial assistance for the veterans who participate in these courts. So we don't offer any kind of services like treatment or anything like that. The mm-hmm. most that we'll do is pay for, for example, we have an Uber account where our veterans whose licenses are taken away, they can actually use Uber to get to court, to get to their treatment, um, to get to their drug and alcohol testing, and even to take it to the VA for their medical appointments because we want them to be successful and get off of probation and not come back onto probation because they have lacked some resource. Um, The Warriors Trust Fund actually pays for yoga. Um, so mm-hmm. once a month, once a month after the combat court at Sixth Circuit Court, uh, when when the the veterans get out of court, they go right downstairs across from the probation office, and there's a yoga class. And 
um, we, we, we pay for the yoga class. And, and I, I remember the judge telling me, you know, she had to fight them basically <laughs> to get them to do it yeah. before. And now they try to rush through the court hearing so to they get can to get yoga, yoga because, <laughs> it, it, you know, they, if they don't suffer from traumatic brain injury, they suffer from post-traumatic stress. And the yoga is calming for them. And, mm-hmm. and it allows them to forget about everything except what's happening at that moment. And we, we allow for family members to come in and do it with them. Some of the staff does it with them. It's a very familial environment because it's a very small court. Um, we, the Combat Veterans Treatment Court is one of only two courts that are combat specific So in, in the country, the other being in Orange County, California. So you have to, you, you can't, um, you have to have served in combat or a theater mm-hmm. zone search and recovery or rescue, um, and in our case, any type of trauma that led to your offense. Um, and, and you have to have had a clean record. The rest of the veteran treatment courts take all military veterans. So there, I mean, we, were, we went to training, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Judge Robert Russell of Buffalo, New York, uh, started the first veterans treatment court uh, in 2008, and his court had 300 participants almost. Uh, our court I don't think we've ever gone above 10. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very different environment. I mean, the families, they, they hang out, they eat after court, they, you know, spend time with each other. We have mentors that, that take some of the younger guys out. And, and uh, you know, some of these veterans, they can't ever work again. So we encourage them to, to, do, to participate in community service. So we have veterans mm-hmm. uh, who are mentors that do that and, and take them, you know, take them, take them to hang out and, so that they have a buddy. Because having a buddy is, is critical uh, to to the success of, of getting off probation for these veterans. Now, you know, I know that in uh, you had a, a fundraiser this fall, and at that fundraiser, you gave uh, Judge Grant uh, Sergeant Clyde J. Willis Warrior Award. Who was Sergeant Clyde J. Willis, and why? Sure. What's the significance of this award? Mr. Willis is actually one of our first graduates, and mm. Mr. Willis, you know, I won't go into details about his offense, but Mr. Willis is a Vietnam veteran and never had so much as a driving ticket until he was before Judge Grant. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, we there are a lot of issues with PTSD, and, 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 and a lot of the problem is, when some of the, the guys and, and, and women came back from Vietnam, they were able to go right into working for like, the big three. They got great union jobs, and their minds were busy. Well, we noticed that as they're starting to retire now, that a lot of them, unfortunately, are coming into the criminal justice system because they don't have the distraction. They're starting to remember mm. what they went through. They're starting to have blackouts and flashbacks things that they didn't have when they were working on the line or working as a manager or, you know, in a supervisory position or owning their own company. They were very successful. Some of them were very successful. But now that they're retired and they have time on their hands, it's becoming harder and harder for them to continue maintaining. Um, and, and so we're actually starting to see a lot of older veterans come through the system. Mr. Willis was a shining star. Uh, Judge mm-hmm. Grant will, will sit will use that, those exact words to describe him. When he graduated from the program, I said to my board, I said, you know what, we, we need more veterans, and 
he has proven that he would have never been in the system had it not been for his military service. Let's put him on the board. So Mr. Willis is actually on our advisory board. Mr. Willis probably spends thousands of hours a year volunteering, helping active military and veterans. He and his wife, I don't even know how these two people sleep. If they're not in the middle of the street, you know, uh, with organizations collecting funds, they're packaging uh, gift bags for, you know, military personnel who are overseas. They're working with our younger veterans who are in the court, taking them out to dinner and, you know, helping them get, you know, register for classes or look for jobs. I mean, these two are just, just amazing. And, and so I didn't, I, I could not think of anything. I mean, I didn't even try to think of who to name the award after. I knew it, it needed to be awarded, uh, named after Mr. Willis. And so mm-hmm. the first, the first, you know, he received our first warrior award, but Judge Grant received uh, the award named for Mr. Willis. And um, the probation officer who actually replaced me uh, when I was promoted, uh, Denise Reeves Cook, uh, is just as passionate as they come. And, and, and my veterans, you know, they, they always would follow up with me and shoot me a text message and say, I was scared when you left, but I, like, I love Agent Cook. She's awesome. She's, you know, very attentive. And so she, she was the recipient of our Distinguished Service Award uh, just for her passion and her continued commitment uh, to the veterans of the court and, and, and to veterans all over Oakland County and, and to Michigan. So, uh, you know, the Michigan Department of Corrections was very proud of her, uh, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm honored to have been able to work by her side and to continue to work by her side in this capacity. But that's why we named the award after Mr. Willis, because he, he literally is a shining star. He is a, a prime example of what can happen when court systems and judges and prosecutors and defense attorneys and probation officers and case managers work together to make sure that our veterans are given uh, uh, something uh, in exchange for their service. You know, Judge Grant would get a lot of flack for having a combat court, and, and people would say, why are you giving them special attention? She, and she would, oh, she'll openly say, you go stand in front of a bullet and give your life mm-hmm. to something you don't know, and mm-hmm. then tell me you don't deserve something. We, they don't get Their records aren't expunged. You know, we, 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 we worked maybe... Uh, we work to rehabilitate them. So, for example, we'll have a veteran come in. He may have an alcohol problem. Instead of sending him to jail for a year, he'll do his mandated 30 days, and then he'll go right to the Battle Creek Hospital for six months mm-hmm. and get treatment. So it's a mm-hmm. different process. It's the same ending. It's just a different process because they have different resources. So, you know, I, I would say the same thing for people who, who criticize uh, uh, any type of, of, of extra, quote-unquote, that we give a veteran. You stand in front of a bullet for a country that you don't know and then come back and tell me that I'm wrong for doing what I do, and then we mm-hmm. can have a conversation. Until then, shut up. <laughs> and I'm very mm-hmm. sorry about mm-hmm. it, you know, because it, it, it gets to a point where you're, you're almost offended that people don't recognize that, uh, that these people are fighting for you and don't know your name. They will never meet you, but they will still go across the world to fight on your behalf and on behalf of this country. And I think that if they uh, are suffering from, from, from trauma that leads them to behave in a way that, that is not like them, that the criminal justice system should at least step up, in which they have been doing across the country, and address those issues. And I'm very proud to be a part of that movement of protecting our veterans. 
You know, you made a, a point, I mean, because recently I've talked to people who are talking to caregivers and they're talking about people who are aging and even talking about veterans who are aging and where they expect to see someone who's suffering from PTSD or the effects like if they came into the hospital and they were doing it. But when you were talking about how, you know, how they, they were okay, they've been working, and it was after they retired and they had this time that this started to come back. Has there been any connection with the court and this this observation, that this knowledge that you've come up with, and some of these agencies that, you know, this is another a symptom. This is a way that they can identify that something is wrong, that the person doesn't have to show up in at the veteran's hospital or have a physical, but that this is something that even as you're thinking about someone when you're retirement, that maybe that's a conversation that that needs to come up with a veteran. You know, you're retiring. You know, you're going to have some more time on your hand. You know, this could come up and this could be how you're feeling and that this might be symptomatic that maybe you need to, to talk to someone to get some type of assistance. You know, I don't know of any organizations like that, unfortunately, you know, what the, the Warriors Trust Fund and any nonprofit that, that supports veterans in these courts, they get, they get them after the fact, right? So they mm-hmm. get them after they're in the system. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure there could possibly be organizations out there like that, and I think that's an awesome idea if there aren't. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But it, it's kind of hard to address because you never know that it's coming. You know, I mean, if you think about it, for 30, 40 years, you've been okay. You haven't had a flashback. You haven't thought about the war. You may get with some old buddies and discuss it, but you're discussing, you know, maybe some hard times with the good times that you had, developing those relationships with with your battle buddies. But it's when you stop the 9 to 5 or the 8 to 4 or however long you work and you don't have those distractions, your kids are older and they're out of the house and, and it's just you and your spouse, and you're sitting there and, you may start drinking a little more because you think about the kids that you may have had to kill or the villages that you may have had to, to take over or uh, the bodies that you had to retrieve. You know, that, that was something that, you know, that's a story that I've heard um, that, you know, you, 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 they had to go into, they had to take helicopters down to retrieve the, the bodies of dead soldiers. Can you mm-hmm. imagine doing that for an entire war? And mm-hmm. so there, there's a lot that, they may not think about that they're thinking about now. Um, and I don't think there's any way to prepare for that, which is why I'm grateful that the criminal justice system has at least done something. You know, so we're going to find a way to, uh, I do, you know, we're going to find a diversion program. So when you get into the felonies, it's a little harder. But most of the veteran treatment courts are at the misdemeanor level. So you can diverge, you can put them in diversion programs where now if they graduate from those diversion programs, they don't have a record at all. Once you get into the felony, it's a little more difficult. Uh, some of those sentences are mandated. So, for example, um, your third driving while drunk offense in Michigan is a mandated uh, probation term with a mandated 30 days of, of, of jail. It's a little harder to expunge those records, but in exchange for that, we really focus on the treatment. And, mm-hmm. and nonprofits like the Warriors Trust Fund and, and other nonprofits that support those courts 
and the participants in those courts, rather, they focus on the rehabilitation part, so making sure that the transportation is paid for, for veterans who can't afford, the, you know, the, the cost of drug and alcohol testing. You know, we, we, we take up those bills for them. Um, if they need emergency assistance with transportation or emergency assistance with housing, you know, we'll, we'll take that up for them, if not work with other organizations who can do that. So, you know, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's got to be community-based, um, and, I, and I think that organizations like ours, unfortunately, we come after the fact, but, I, you know, if, if there's some way that, you know, even the VA can start establishing a program, if it hasn't already, where they start reaching out to those Vietnam veterans, and even some of the Gulf War veterans, they're starting to retire now. Um, and, and, mm-hmm. and so that may be something that they can start doing to kind of prep them for civilian life without a job. You're in retirement now. You have more time on your hands. Do some community service. Keep your mind busy. Do some traveling. But I, I think that's a huge issue. And, and we're not only getting, uh, unfortunately, veterans from these most recent wars, but definitely from Vietnam and, and the Gulf War. So that, that is a huge issue. And I, and I think, uh, uh, being proactive instead of reactive, obviously, is always the first choice. But in, in this case, it's a little more harder to predict. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, so you've been involved. So you were able to shift your position, and now you're involved with it. You keep a pretty busy schedule. <laughs> How? I mean, I mean, and I'm, I'm going to tell you. I know for you that's really an understatement. You keep an incredibly busy schedule. How near and dear is to your heart and how often are you able to get back and, you know, just sort of like get there and sort of get a feel of what's going on? And like you said, those people who sent you the text and say, we're concerned you're not going to be there. How engaged are you able to still be in their lives? Because, you're, you know, like you said, you're not working with hundreds. I could see where it would be like a family. Right, right. You know, I I am as engaged as they as I can be. Uh, to be honest with you, I just make sure that everything's paid for. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to be honest mm-hmm. with you, because you know, as a probation officer, and and I will admit, and I told the story when I uh, gave Judge Grant her award. Uh, I had a, a a case, a young man who was actually our first veteran, and uh, there's no electronic communication between the Department of Defense and the VA. So he had been shot in the field and was on, I want to say oxycodone. This happened a while ago, Mm. so I can't really remember which oxy he was on. It was oxycodone or oxycontin. And his medication was late. Uh, He didn't get it. Uh, He didn't live too far from the VA, so he he was able to, but he just didn't. And I don't know if they were mailing it or whatever the case may be, but there's, again, it, it had something to do with the VA not being up to speed. I do recall that much. And a friend of his, a very stupid person, and I keep using that word stupid, but it's true, a very stupid person said, hey, this heroin mm-hmm. will have the same effect. Mm-hmm. So well, this, but veteran you became, mm-hmm. yep, this, this veteran became hooked on heroin. And over the time that I supervised him, there were a lot of tears. <laughs> Mine were mostly at home, but um, – uh, he cried a lot in my office. I talked a lot with his, I worked with his parents. Um, I worked with his, the friends that were really supportive of him and, and uh, the judge. I mean, we were stressed out about this kid because we thought we were going to lose him. Two times we did. Okay, one mm-hmm. time he overdosed and they called me and they said, is he yours? I said, yep. Take him to the hospital <laughs> and 
I'll see him in a couple of days, tell him to show up to court, and I'm going to put out a warrant. He came into court. We didn't throw him in jail. We, put, we sent him away to treatment. The second time I got a call uh, from an officer, and it was literally a different officer, same question, because he always kept his money and my card in his pocket. He had overdosed and was hanging outside of the car, um, practically dead. The first time his friend had rolled him into the hospital and then left. Um, but this time he was in a car, he had overdosed, still has a needle in his arm, and, and the officer called me, is he yours? And I said, yep. And, I, and I'll tell you, Michelle, I, I put down the phone, and that's the last thing I remember. And mm-hmm. um, the next thing I remember is hearing Judge Grant's voice. And I just busted out crying. Mm. And I was in my office. And she sat there on the phone and did not say a word until I stopped crying. And she assured me that what we were doing was going to save lives. She assured me that it was going to be okay, that he was going to be okay. I can say that he is okay. Uh, He has a child. He's doing very well. Um, And I keep up with him. I watch him a little bit on Facebook, but, you know, I I don't – we haven't interacted. Um, But I I watch him, and he is doing well, you know. And I'm sure he has Mm -hmm. setbacks. Everyone has setbacks, but but he looks to be doing okay. But she assured me, and and it's very stressful. And I knew that I could only last so long doing that. I would get calls at 3 o'clock in the morning. I had one veteran call me. He was in the woods somewhere with a bottle of whiskey and a gun and mm-hmm. had to talk him down. And, I, and my friends became very concerned. My parents became very concerned because I put 200% in everything I do, and you can only put 200% in so many things before you lose yourself, right? So mm-hmm. um, I was actually glad to get the promotion and glad to kind of step back from it because I could – probably have more of an impact being able to financially handle things rather than being physically there Um, because Agent Reese Cook does an unbelievable job, but I started that with Judge Mm -hmm. Grant. So my heart was a lot more engaged. My spirit was just really uh, 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 driven into it, and so it was harder for me to separate it. This was my family, you know, and 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 I was very blessed to have supervisors and managers, specifically managers. My regional administrator um, and the assistant deputy director were were extremely supportive. They let me do whatever I needed to do to get this job done, but unfortunately, leaving that wide open for me <laughs> made me even more so engaged than I probably should have been, and. Um, it is, it is draining. It is draining. And, and, and you're right. I am overwhelmed and I'm tired. But, you know, my mother always taught me, and, and, and you know my mother. My mother always taught me you live to give. And I think if everyone on this earth gave a little bit, it would be a lot better. Um, you know. And so I, I'm, maybe I'm making up for some people who are selfish. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, um, it's good to be able to give back to these guys. And, and I wish I could be more engaged and go to more court hearings and mm-hmm. um but I communicate with them. When they need money they call me. I I get the I get the emails or, or, or my treasurer my treasurer gets the email. Then we have a process obviously, um because I'm the one that sets up the Uber account and puts their name and information in there and uh the addresses that they go to. So um they make sure they get their Uber and uh, mm-hmm. you know we but, but I, I, I kinda keep a more of a hands off 
um, attitude because I know if if I get too engaged, uh, it'll it'll be too much. And uh, but I make sure that they're taken care of from my perspective, and I let Agent Reeves cook, and of course Judge Grant do their jobs, and they do a they do a hell of a job. So I don't I don't have any question in my mind that these guys are being very well taken care of. You know, you see these guys. I mean, and you see what they've gone through. You see how that. Yeah, I, I, it made me think while you were talking, you know, when the, and, and you see I'm stumbling, when the president said to that widow, you know, that they knew what they were getting into, you know, he knew what he signed up for. Mm-hmm. You see these guys, do, do they really, did they know that they were signing up for this, that later on, I mean, you know, here's someone after they've retired, they're going to get flashed back. Is that, is that, was, I mean, I think it was very cavalier. I mean, I think it was just like outrageous. But to say that, even though that you know that you're going into the military and you know all this, you don't know what they signed up for. When you see these people, does anyone ever come back, you know, like when, the, you know, did that guy ever at any point say, well, you know, I knew it was going to be tough, and I knew I was going to, you know, I knew I signed up for this, and, you know, that's how I messed up. Has anyone ever said something like that, you know? They don't know what they signed up for. I mean, there's no way you can know what it's going to be like, like you said, to have a bullet come at you. I don't think, I have actually heard that before. Um, mm-hmm. But remember, these are people who came back, right? So mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. can say, I know what I signed up for. Um I think coming from the president, it was insulting. Um, Mm -hmm. It was disgusting, particularly to say to a widow who just Mm -hmm. lost her partner, her life partner, her husband, and the father of her children, and she's pregnant on top of that. I think it was one of the most cowardly statements I've ever heard in my life, and I will say that until I take my last breath. I, I will never mm-hmm. be able to understand why he did that. So I think, in, and in saying all of that, yes, some of them know what they're signing up for. They know that they're going to defend their country. They know that they're going to defend people, but they don't expect the kind of, we'll never know what happened in that case, in the case mm-hmm. of that, 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 that uh, soldier. There are rumors out there that he was left. They were separated. They don't expect that. They expect a brotherhood, mm-hmm. a sisterhood. Uh, they expect the camaraderie, and they hope to come home to their families. But some of them are willing to sacrifice their lives for their country, and that is the reality of it. But that's not something a president says to a widow. And, mm-hmm. and I have dealt, I have spoken with, with Vietnam veterans, and Iraqi war veterans who said, I would do it all over again if I had to because I wanted to fight for my country. I knew what I signed up for. I have heard that. Yes, I have heard that. I have heard that I didn't know it was going to be like this. I didn't know. I, I, I was going just to get money for college. I was going mm-hmm. to, 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 to create a better life. I didn't want to be on the farm or I didn't want to be – you know, stuck in, in, in Detroit or I didn't want to be stuck in Chicago. I wanted something different. I wanted to explore the world. So a lot of them didn't know that they were going to go into war. They didn't sign up during a war. 
you, you have to remember after 9-11, a lot of young men and women signed up because they knew they mm-hmm. were going to war. They wanted to go out there and fight for their country. And, 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 and God bless them, many of them came back, but unfortunately some of them did not. Yes, they knew what they were getting into. But to come from the leader of the military is <laughs> just, it, 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 it's just, it was extremely disrespectful to every woman and man that puts on a uniform. And you, you let them say that. You don't mm-hmm. say that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yes, and I will be honest, I have heard it before. They, they were gung-ho to go over and fight for their country. They knew what they were getting into. A lot of them did not. So a lot of them do use it uh, to get out of their current circumstances. Uh, a lot of them use it to further their careers. Um, and they use it as a resume builder. They want to go into the military. They know that they can learn a lot. They use it for educational purposes um, with the hopes that we don't go to war. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, but some do with the intent to defend their countries, and they know that the greatest sacrifice would be death. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and in that part I understand, but, you know, when you stop and you think about, because, like, like, you also talk about people who are involved in, you know, rescue and recovery missions, you know. I mean, you're prepared to go in there, but what if you're the survivor and stuff? I mean, so there's a part that you know, but I think that, you know, there's also the part that you're seeing, and like you said, to have them tell you is one thing, but to hear it the other way, and I guess as you, you know, working, how does that affect people who are coming through these courts? Do you ever, I mean, has it ever been like when you say someone from the trust fund will go and say, we're here to help you, we can help you do this and do that, that they go like, yeah, right, you know, or are you really going to come through, or you're only going to come through for this, or they're only going to do so much because they don't believe that it's real because having done the service for their country, often they feel they've been thrown away. That, that is very true, and that, and that was one of the things that we have had to fight, even when I was a probation officer um, and, and now as the president of the Warriors Trust Fund. Those are some of the things that we've had to fight is, is the perception that we as a country do not respect our veterans, um, particularly the older veterans who fought in Vietnam, the Gulf War, uh, especially who fought in Vietnam, because we know how horrible this country was to them when they came back. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, but I, 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 we, we have to fight that all the time. A lot of them mm-hmm. feel like, you know, there are people out there hurting more than me. I, I don't need this. And we have to force it on them. We have to say, no, we're going to help you with this. You, it's not about whether you think you need it or not. We know there are people who are worse out there, but they're not you. They're not here in front of us. We're going to help you. And we've actually had to, you know, kind of force the assistance on some of the, like the yoga. You know, they didn't feel mm-hmm. like they needed it, you know. And, and the judge said, hey, no, you need to go. And now she can't, she's got to calm them down in the courtroom because they're trying to run the yoga. <laughs> and and so it it you know it we I had to I had to learn as a probation officer to be very patient because it's it's uh it's it, it it's you know I fought for my country and there are a lot of guys that didn't make it back and there are a lot of guys that are hurting worse than I am and but you just told me you had a flashback and tore your house up and mm-hmm. don't remember a, a thing that happened no you're hurting too just because you don't. You haven't lost a limb or you weren't shot does not mean you're not hurting. And so it's, it's getting through those barriers um, 
And so they, and, and I'll tell you, sometimes they'll trust us in the criminal justice system more than they'll trust the VA. Mm-hmm. Because the VA has, and, and you know, there's some great people at the VA, but it's it's too big, and they just don't have a system that functions that and and best serves these veterans. It, there, I mean, you, the VA needs to be completely and totally revamped, uh, but it's just too big, and a lot of veterans get get left behind. And and we saw that a few years ago when veterans were dying waiting for appointments. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, I, I, I think that people have trust, you know, once they're in the criminal justice system and they meet some of these judges, um, I can speak for my judge. I can speak for Judge Khalil down in, in, in uh, Redford, Michigan. I can speak for Judge Apple in Oak Park. I have Judge Slotowski in, in Macomb County. There are some judges out there who would give the shirts off their backs to their their veterans if they were allowed to do so, right? Because they really do genuinely care. And I think the veterans feel that. So they feel mm-hmm. safer interacting with a judge who can send them to jail than they do with some of the caseworkers down at the VA. And I've heard mm-hmm. that. So it's not this rumor. It's something that I've heard come out of veterans, that they'd rather meet with me than their caseworker. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, and, and it's sad, but that's why we take on these roles. Probation officers are some of the hardest working people out there, and, and I don't say that just because I did it. I say it because in many cases we're the only people that some of these folks will talk to. Mm-hmm. They've had hard lives, and that's why they're sitting in, in front of us, because their hard mm-hmm. life reached a max, and that's what mm-hmm. happens with these veterans. And sometimes they develop a relationship and a rapport with their probation officer where they trust that person to make the best decision to help guide them and get them off probation or parole. And, and in, especially with people with mental health issues, uh, substance abuse issues, they become very, uh, they, they don't trust folks. And, and luckily we were able to garner that trust and gain that trust from these veterans. And, and I think that's one of the reasons why we've been so successful. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we're going to take our second break and um, we will be right back. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. Um, talking about the Warriors Trust Fund and the work that they do. You know, I know that um, these, it's a, oh, the Combat Veterans Treatment Court. I mean, there's one in Oakland. What if somebody, what kind of training? Is there a cross-training, a cross-sharing of information? Because you said, like, often it's, it's the probation officer. So if someone is, say, at 36th District Court and for something that would, would come in there, 
what kind of training, what kind of cross-information is it to, to develop that, to get people to these kind of programs? And if it's not a court in, in, in this area, to maybe identify that maybe this is where, another place where they need to have it, because we have a very mobile society that maybe suddenly they're seeing it in an area where there isn't access to this. Uh, Michigan law actually allows for entire dockets to be transferred to courts where there are no specialized treatment courts. So that's actually not a concern in Michigan. Um, 36th right. District Court actually has a – no, is it 36th? I, I know 3rd Circuit Court um, has a veterans treatment court. I'm not sure if 36th District Court does. I'm almost positive they do. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, in, in the state of Michigan, I think right now 23 or 24 veteran treatment courts were third in the country, California, uh, and then Texas, and then Michigan. Um, But there are courts all over the state. So people are allowed to, uh, people are allowed to um, transfer the docket to other courts. So we've we've actually done that. And then the Department Mm. of Corrections is very flexible on supervision. So normally with the Department of Corrections, you get supervised, in the county that you live, so let's say an offender, a citizen committed an offense in Oakland County, but he lives in Wayne County, his case would be transferred to, his supervision would be transferred to the Third Circuit Court and a Wayne County probation officer, but his case is still in Oakland County. And the, in, in, in the Oakland County judge is the only person that can, can make those um, make any type of sentences. So the probation officer in Wayne County would have to reach out to the probation officer in Oakland County who would then submit the information to the judge in Oakland County. In the case of specialized treatment courts, so you also have drug courts as well, uh, but with veteran treatment courts, if a veteran lives in Oakland County, commits an offense in Wayne County, um, and he, I'm trying to see how to say this, he, but he wants to, it's kind of hard to explain, but the entire case can be moved to uh, the, the county where he lives, and it doesn't stay in the county where the offense was, crea- was, was made. Um, the, with the Department of Corrections, um, and, and in the case that we had with this first probationer, the first probationer that we had, the first veteran that we had, lived two counties over, but he had become accustomed to seeing me as his probation officer. The, the Department of Corrections, allowed his supervision to stay with us. So, so Judge Grant uh, was allowed to still continue to see him, although he was supposed to be transferred to his home county. Uh, so, so I think that, that the, the, the Department of Corrections uh, and, the, and the court system have been very flexible with how we're supervising these veterans, and it's been very useful um, in, 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 how they're, in, in their success rate. Mm-hmm. So... I know you do a golf outing, and you have to come up with something else because I don't golf. <laughs> um, yeah, I, you know, you just don't want you just don't want to see that. Um, um, but how there has to be funds for a Warrior Trust Fund. Who do you get your funding from besides this outing that you have? Uh, yeah, we have a we have an outing every nine eleven, and we do sell dinner only tickets, so you can come actually 
eat with us and, and, and celebrate with us. Um, I can do that. I can do that. Yep, yep we, we sell dinner-only tickets. But uh, our last grant came from the Oakland County Bar Foundation, a great organization uh, that helps uh, with organizations in Oakland County. And so that was our, our, our last grant came from them, and, and so we're waiting on, on an update uh, for our current grant request. And, um, but, yeah, our, our golf outing is pretty successful. We hope every year it gets bigger and bigger, but we do offer dinner-only tickets, so I, I expect to see you there 9-11, but we have it every 9-11. Okay. Um, <laughs> and and, and it's, it's a good time. I mean, we, you know, our veterans come out, and uh, they get to see that people – care. And that, I don't think people understand how huge that is. This year, uh, Representative Sylvia uh, Santana joined us, uh, Representative Christine Gregg, who's, we were in Farmington at the, at the um, um, golf course, and um, Phil Phelps from Flint, he came all the way down. Representative Phil Phelps from Flint came all the way down. So we had reps there who were just extremely supportive. We had our volunteers were from the Department of Corrections, and actually my good friend, the president of the Morris Peterson Jr. Foundation, Tanya Tonda, sorry, my mother's name is Tanya, Tonda Mm -hmm. uh, Peterson Bryant volunteered. So the veterans who were there got to see all of these different people really express genuine love for them and respect mm-hmm. and honor. And and that's what we, you know, we don't have any other major events. That's our one one big event. And, and that, to me, is enough because it's, even at the golf outing, it's, it's a more of a familial environment. Everybody's very friendly. Everybody's hugging each other when they get introduced because we know why we're there. We're there to support these veterans. So, you know, we're, we're, we're looking to pop, possibly apply for more grants, um, but right now, you know, we're so small. We don't require a lot of funding, but any, any donations are always greatly appreciated, and they always go to uh, the veterans. We don't, we don't have any overhead or anything. We're good to go. Mm-hmm. And if people, you know, because this is coming at the time of year um, when people are thinking about not only their year-end giving, but ways that they can volunteer mm-hmm. and, and continue to give into the next the next year and, who knows, even legacy uh, donations. There may, might be someone who will say there, but for the grace of God, I would have been that veteran. If they yes. want to contribute, what's the way that they do it? Well, if they would like to, if we have any military veterans out there, men or women, who would like to be mentors. So every veterans treatment court has a mentor. And you basically become a battle buddy for the person who's serving mm. the probation term. Um, they can contact the uh, Judge Grant's uh, uh, chambers at Combat Veterans Treatment Court, or they can contact Agent Denise Reeves-Cook at the Probation Department with the Michigan Department of Corrections. She's at the Pontiac Probation Office. And there's a screening process. The judge will meet with them and, and we'll see who they can team up with. Um, because we're combat and trauma, we like people who have actually served in combat, but if they haven't, that's fine. Um, if they just want to give back, we are more than willing to do that. And, and the requirement is minimal. Uh, they do have to attend some court hearings um, with with their mentee, uh, and they have to serve as a resource for their mentee. And, and, you know, a lot of our veterans who graduate come right back and, and serve in that position, so it's pretty awesome, and, and that's why we've been able to have such a, a family-oriented environment. Um, and then they can go on our website if they want to donate financially, the warriorstrustfund.org. Uh, they can go right to the donate button and be rest assured that their money is going to go towards helping these veterans. Um, and, and again, on 9-11, we have our golf outing at the Glen Oaks uh, Golf Course 
which is an Oakland County uh, public golf course in Farmington Hills. And so uh, people can check up on our website. We'll have that information up soon, and they can register. Uh, but, again, it will be on 9-11, which I believe is a Tuesday in 2018. And, and so mm-hmm. we look forward to a bigger and better event. Uh, but, again, if people just want to donate, they can go on the website and, and donate. They can also go through PayPal. And and so um, I appreciate that. You know, we, we – but we're not – you know, we're again, we're a small organization. Uh, we don't need millions of dollars to operate. We just want to take mm-hmm. care of the guys that, and the men and women that we're, we're trying to help. Well, Marcia, I want to thank you again for all that you do and for your opinions. I always value your opinions. I love following you on Facebook because it's like, i got to get in her suitcase. I mean, she's just doing it, you know. <laughs> I mean, I, I, uh, I think that, you know, you give 200%, you know, if everyone would give, if people would just give 100% to something that they really believe in, we could um, really make a difference and change this world and why not way. But, Marseille, yeah. I want you to feel better. Don't be sick, you know. Um, <laughs> don't be sick. I, I hope to see you in person sometime in the near future. Again, yes, thank you for, for all you do and for, again, coming back to talk about not only Flint um, and reminding us that there are still people who are affected and will be for generations and not to forget them. And not to forget our veterans. You know, we, th- we have to do more than just sort of say, thank you for your service. Yeah, we should say that, but then be there. So, Marce, yeah. thank you. And thank you, you so much here. for having me. Okay, well, you have a great night. Feel better. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> All right, so. Have a great night. The- you too. Okay. Well, we've come to the end of another edition of Collections by Michelle Brown. You can listen to this podcast and any of our archived podcasts by following us on iTunes, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, or SoundCloud. Um, We have a Facebook page. Please be sure and like that. And we'll also post a lot of information about that. And remember, September 11, 2018, get those golf clubs going. There is a, a, a golf outing to support Warriors Trust Fund. I want to thank you, our listening audience, for being with me tonight. And I look forward to talking to you next week when I'll bring you another amazing individual who's living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. That's right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.